0: Hey, everybody, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. The Welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. We're really excited about tonight's show. We're going to be talking about 1941's great Preston Sturgis comedy, The Lady Eve. This is a movie that Mike and I both loved. We watched it again for the podcast. Um, Criterion just put out a whole bunch of Preston Sturgis films, but this is a, a perennial favorite. The Lady Eve, Mike, you said it's one of your favorites. Why?
1: It has... Not just the most laughs per per minute, but it's got some of the meanest laughs, and those are my those are my favorite. There's a lot of uh, not just good old goofy humor. There's a lot of uh, catty humor in this movie. There's a lot of uh, of irony, and there's more physical humor than you would expect. Um, yeah, I watched uh, Peter Bogdanovich's uh, introduction and was pleased that he picked up on on the same thing, which is that when you when you think of Preston Sardis, you think of very literary dialogue, you think of um, you know, witty humor, but you don't often think of how physical this movie is. Just think about them sitting at the table playing cards and the gag of she keeps switching his cards and then he keeps, you know, he keeps producing uh, cards based on what he knows that uh, his opponent has. Uh, so it's got it's got all the elements uh, of good drama. It certainly keeps me entertained and I really don't get tired of the performances at all. And I'm not just talking about, um, you know, Henry Fonda's uh, performance or anybody else's performance? Um, yeah,
0: no, it's ter- it's terrific. That that the card tricks are worthy of Ricky Jay when she keeps giving her father the you know the, the bad hand of cards. But when you think of Henry Fonda, I don't know if this is the first film that comes to people's mind, but he's so so good in it.
1: He is an excellent stooge. He's excellent, the perfect excellent. straight man,
0: and he's so good. At, he's so good. He reminds me of um, I know how much you love the PG Woodhouse books and how much you love the Jeeves books. I mean, he is Gussie Finknotte to a degree, right? I love when he's on the ship reading the the book. Do you remember the name of the book he's reading?
1: No, it's it's in my moment too, but I
0: forget. It's one of my favorite details. It's, are snakes necessary? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the thing I like about it is that Sturgis has such a light touch on the whole Garden of Eden thing. I mean, at the beginning, you know, Henry Fond is in he's in Eden. He gets pulled out of Eden. Eve drops the, the the apple, you know, right onto his head as he's getting on. And and I think the fun thing about the film is that, yes, snakes are necessary. You, you, he does need to get tempted. It makes him more of a person at the end. And we watch him go through this. I want to ask you something, a, a, a little um, surprise question for you. You mentioned before all the physical humor, and there's certainly a lot. And I love how Barbara Stanwyck meets him accidentally on purpose by tripping him. Right? So th- it's a movie about a guy who, who literally falls and then figuratively falls in love. And it made me think of that verb. What do you make, why is that verb so perfect about falling in love? Why do you think we've latched onto that verb?
1: I think it has to do a lot with the involuntary nature uh, of the response. You know, you can, there, What we know from romantic comedies, what we know as a culture from romantic comedies is there's always somebody uh, that you should choose to love but you can't but you can't choose. And so that's why we when when you feel that um, that emotion it's so it's so involuntary uh and not always harmless.
0: Yeah, it's great. I lo- I, you can't choose to that's a great thing and that when that nobody voluntarily falls, you would not say today hey, I'm going to fall down. It just happens. And of course he doesn't voluntarily fall there, but that's what you know, it's that's what happens to to billions and billions of people. So I love that it's it's just clever enough to do those kind of kind of bits where he literally falls and figuratively falls and, and all the stuff with the snake in the Garden of Eden, but um, that it, it keeps a light touch and never gets too preachy about it.
1: Also, both fathers uh, are excellent. Excellent. Both fathers are, are excellent. One as the rich businessman, the other as the con man. And just, yeah. they're
0: just so great. Him banging his trays, his empty breakfast trays is, is a highlight of the movie. Welcome back. So in part two, as you know, we like to talk about our favorite moments or a moment that we think reflects the film as a whole, Mike, what's yours? Uh, Mine is
1: when she sees him for the first time uh, on the ship and she's doing a running dialogue or monologue for herself about all the women that pass by the table, because he's, he's obviously, he's a wealthy, handsome gentleman sitting by himself. And so, and so he's a target. And uh, it's just, it's funny for a number of reasons. One is, uh, Barbara Stanwyck has the perfect voice for that kind of scene. She, her delivery on each of the jokes is absolutely perfect, um, and and the comedic timing uh, of the scene is great. The other is it's it's such a great narrative technique because it comes obviously very early in the film, but it helps us establish Barbara Stanwyck's character because you know just like he she's studying him the way he's studying a snake, uh, she's she knows exactly how to make her approach. She knows how it's going to go down. And she's watching all these amateurs try to catch his attention. And of course, they're falling down in front of him, right? The one lady drops her handkerchief (laughs) and she and she laughs because she's that that's too much of an amateur move for her. She's not going to drop anything. She's going to drop the guy.
0: Excellent. Yeah. What did you think? I thought I was going to pick that for my moment, but I didn't, but it occurred to me how much she's like Preston Sturgis. So she's like a film director there, right? She's looking at an image and commenting on it for the viewer and telling the viewer what that means. And that's how great directors work. And of course, she does, so to speak, direct his life for the next, you know, however many, however much time the film spans and that she has to do the same thing with him and his emotions and manipulate them the same way that Preston Sturgis does with ours.
1: And it's, it sets us up, certainly, for uh, the denouement of the movie, which is that she's got to uh, win his heart fairly, and then she's got to convince him to have an affair with her, but she's actually his wife.
0: Correct. If you And if you've seen the film, that makes perfect sense. So my film, my moment in the film was when um, she goes back, to, they go back to get her, um, change her clothes and uh, she starts playing with his hair. So they're on the, the chaise lounge and she starts playing with his hair and it's that long master shot where you just see the two of them and she's kind of whispering in his ear and he's he's barely hanging on because he's swooning because he's smelling her. He hasn't been near a woman. She's And my my thing about that scene that's great is first of all, how long it goes on for. That that scene should have been, somebody should have yelled cut. I mean, I'm glad he didn't because it's perfect. But you would think somebody would have yelled cut way earlier into that. And it made me start thinking about, you know, what's sexy in movies and what's not and sex in movies in general. Now, I, you know, I'm not a prude, but I, I think sex in movies is almost universally cringeworthy. And it embarrassing. It it almost never works. So, you know, we've done Don't Look Now in here and we and we've laughed about Donald, how many times do we have to watch Donald Sutherland have sex? Because I've seen Clute as well recently, and that's another one. And in Don't Look Now, I know the point is their marriage is getting back together, but it, it goes on like it, I think I think it goes on for an uncomfortable amount of time. And you hear people talk about, um, you know, Brian De Palma and his – I mean, I think Brian De Palma makes movies like he's a randy, like, 15-year-old with a, with a movie camera that can finally get people to do what he wants. Um you know, you mentioned Watchmen a couple of weeks ago, just off the cuff talking about fights in Watchmen. There's that scene, in, there's a sex scene in Watchmen where they play um, the cover of Leonard Cohen's Alleluia. And that is that is more cringeworthy, I think, than anything else trying to turn that book into a movie. So, and even The Godfather, I was thinking about The Godfather too, right? So what's the sex scene of The Godfather when he goes to Sicily and Apollonia takes her? But that's really only to show that she's the opposite of Kay. Like she's, you know, she, she's not this this uptight wasp. So that's there's my There's two whole... sex
1: scenes in Godfather.
0: Well, wow, that's true. Okay, right, okay, right, Okay. Well, the first one, right. And the first one shows you exactly what Sonny's like. I had to do the math there for a second. Very good, Mike. The first one is, is, is purely character driven to show you what a, what a guy Sonny is. Um, so character driven is one thing. But here, going back to this thing about her playing with his hair, I think that the tension of that scene goes on so long that even now, it's it's almost kind of shocking and it, it, it's wonderful. And you totally see why he's swooning and, and what it's like to be out of your, with a girl that's out of your league, this woman totally out of your depth, and she's just playing with your hair and whispering in your ears. And, and he can't believe that it's really happening. It reminded me of that great scene in North by Northwest when Cary Grin and Eva Marie Saint are on the train. And instead of giving her one long kiss, because Hitchcock could couldn't go over a certain time limit. They decide he makes them kiss each other, you know, a thousand. They break it into 20, into 20 segments. Yeah. Yeah. Which is infinitely sexier and infinitely, you know, more erotic. And I think the same thing is going on here where he he realizes he's, he's so out of his depth and we love him for it.
1: Because there's a kind of visual eroticism, I think that only works by implication because you, you can't, you can't pick a detail that would be sexy to everybody, but it, but an implication reaches into the same place in everybody's brain and says, what's in that drawer for you? And and that's and that's how it works. That's why it's a, it's appealing to a, a greater percentage of people. OK, welcome back in part three. Of course, we talk about the ending, the title, the big takeaways. Dan, why don't you kick it off?
0: Well, of course, the ending is is terrific. How everything comes comes perfectly together. Again, like we said, like a P.G. Woodhouse novel. I love Muggsy snooping around. I still say that's the same dame. And it made me think that as they go into the room and shut the door and start to talk about their marriage and, the, and their upcoming married life together, it made you think about, or at least it made me think about, when you go into a marriage, how much do you really know that other person? So she's trying to tell him what's going on. He doesn't really know what's going on. He's not surely, he's not, he doesn't know the whole story like we do, or like Muggsy suspects, right? But it's kind of funny that a, a part of a marriage is, is learning more about other person. You don't, you don't, understand that person a hundred percent when you go into it. But as you go on, if it works, your percentage will go up all the time. And I think that's the implication for the end of the film is that of course their percentage is going to go up and, and no matter what she tells him, it's going to be okay.
1: Yeah. This is definitely intended to be a happy ending. Sure. And it's, there's too much to unwrap before the end for Like if you ask me how much Henry Fonda knows in the final moment, when she says, I am too. I I wouldn't be able to say whether he fully knows what's going on or not, but uh, he knows that he's enjoying where he is. And I think that's how we feel as the audience too.
0: Yeah. We're happy for him and we're happy for her too.
1: There's, there's so many great rescue scenes, like where she starts to feel bad again at the, at the poker table. And so she starts to trade out her, her father's cards until he's gotten back everything that he's won. And, and there's, so there's different times where she tries to either prove her virtue uh, or she feels bad enough that she's content to leave him on the hook without taking him for what he's worth.
0: Or when she comes back, of course, the whole trick of her coming back is the lady, as the lady Eve, when she comes back and then, and then starts telling him all the Hubert and Herbert and all the people on right. the train. is to Hubert. win him
1: fair and square, except that she's lying.
0: Yes. <laughs> and, and of course that's what you have to do to win people's heart is oftentimes you have to lie. Everyone out there, you've done it. We've all done it. You have to tell some lies sometimes to win the person's heart. You so heard thanks- it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. So thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation about the Lady Eve. If you'd like to email us, you could email us at 15minutefilm at gmail.com. You can Venmo us at 15minutefilm. If you'd like to donate a buck or two to the show, we always put that money right back into the show. And you could follow us on Twitter at 15minfilm. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time.